What is up, everyone, and welcome into episode 17 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. I am Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com, and my co-host, as always, is Mr. Mike Dawson, Managing Editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. In this episode, we will talk about PASIC 2015, which Mike just got back from. We'll also talk about my European clinic tour. I've been to Spain, Portugal, Scotland, and now I'm in London, getting ready for the London Drum Show. We'll also do some shop talk, and we'll talk about the depth of drums. How does the depth of a bass drum affect your sound, and how does the depth of a snare drum affect your sound? We'll talk about drummer Frankie Benali, the drummer from Quiet Red. He's got a new documentary out about how he's trying to keep that band alive. We'll also get into the gear review section with the new True Tuner. And as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. All right. There's no easy way to get into this. Let's just start talking. How are you doing, pal? I'm doing good. I, I, I caught the, uh, the PASIC cold. I thought I was going to make it through this year without okay. it. But I guess, I mean, you shake... 20, 30 people's hands who've shook 20, 30 people's hands. I mean, you're getting like 600 people's hands on <laughs> your face, you know. And then everyone <laughs> wants to hug. You know, everybody's your brother and they want to hug you. Ugh. So I thought I made it through. And as soon as I landed back here on Sunday, it was like, oh, there it is. <clears throat> I'm going to be coughing. So excuse me if I have to clear my throat a couple times today. But. I would say then the combination of your coughing and um, the city of London behind me with sirens and motorcycles <laughs> and Ferraris. <laughs> Uh, it should make for a very interesting podcast. So uh, for everybody that doesn't know, I'm out on the road right now. I just did, uh, let's say I did Spain, Portugal, Scotland, and now I just a few hours ago made it into London for uh, the London Drum Show, which starts tomorrow. Is that a two-day thing? It is. So uh, Saturday and Sunday, uh, there's two floors. Uh, the bottom floor is the exhibition hall with all the gear, which is really cool for me because there's a ton of product here that doesn't get shown at NAMM. Oh, cool. um, so I get to see some great stuff. And then the second, or I guess the third floor total um, upstairs is where they have their main performance room, which holds, I guess, about 500 people, but it's all seated, really nice room. And then uh, then they also have what they're calling the education zone. So I'm teaching in the education zone uh, on Saturday and then performing on the main stage on Sunday. And it's all filmed? I, th- I think the the main stage stuff is, yeah. I don't think the education zone is because they know that... It's just, you know, teaching drums is just silly, and there's no reason to film that. Yeah, so. well, you got to keep something <laughs> intimate, you know? No, I agree. I agree. I mean, I'm kind of – I even tell people when they come to the clinics, to my clinics, like, hey, I encourage you to film this, and I also encourage you not to upload it because you're the ones that made it out to the clinic tonight. Yeah. You didn't stay home. You came out. So this is – you know, I don't mind that you film it. You made the effort, you know, and, and if you want to be reminded of what I was talking about, that's fine. But But don't give it to the world. Like – you were here. And the other thing is I've seen the footage of clinics and it's like that's not what it was like in the room. There was so much magic going on yeah. in the room and no camera can ever capture that. That's so. exactly what I was going to say because, I mean, I was at, at PASIC, which is hour after hour of intimate and sometimes just big ballroom type clinics. And it's there's no way it's the same same. I mean, you, for instance, you can go to I think it's Gretsch's Facebook page and watch Mark Giuliano's opening solo. Right. I did. Um, it actually is. I didn't even think it was the same solo that I watched in person. Really, it does not it's, translate in any capacity to what the experience of seeing him. I mean, it's still great. Yeah, but basically, he was for the most part unmiked. Like they had his his mic. Yeah, level I couldn't so see low. any microphones. What? So what, did he just have an overhead and a kick or what? Yeah, overheads and uh, I mean, it was. I think it was three mics. He was pretty insistent. We talked about it beforehand. I, I warned him. He called me a couple of days before, and he's like, "So what am I in for?" I'm like, "Well, you're going to be on a huge stage." You're going to be really detached from the crowd, and they're going to insist on micing you up like you're in Pantera. Right. <laughs> so, 
so he went in there and and you know he he did it i mean he said like minimal mics i mean his sound check was so quick that we didn't even have a chance to get in to film a little bit of him before he finished the sound check yeah 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 sure so i mean to be in the room the the mic levels were so low i mean you were hearing every nuance and so it just didn't again what you see online is great but what you missed in that room i feel bad yeah no i i you know i was uh two feet away from him in uh Ireland when we did our we did our clinic together with Sput at the end of that camp and he pretty much did a rendition of that solo I mean there was some there was a lot of motifs in that solo that he did where I was sitting right next to him because we had all three kits on the stage and I felt the same way I I, you know I texted him after it was after I saw the video and I was you know congratulating him for how good it was but also it's like that's nothing compared to what it's like to see it in person because he's so deep and so yeah, so I, I kind of agree with that stuff where it's like, hey, you know, when my when people come out to the clinics, I mean, we did uh, Portugal was sold out for the clinic last night in Scotland was sold out, and so I just kind of encourage the crowd, you are more than welcome to film. You made the effort to be here, go for it, but keep it as a reference for yourself. Don't upload it because no one will ever know what it's like to be in this room tonight. You know, I mean, dude, being in Lisbon, Portugal you know, three or four nights after the Paris attacks. I mean, there was a serious amount of camaraderie in the room that can't be captured on somebody's iPhone. So, you know, so that's kind of my deal with that. So you were, you were there for all the clinics or were there certain ones you couldn't get to? Uh, It was, this was actually, it was kind of a a bummer year where I had to do more of the booth duty pretty much the whole time I was managing our booth. So I only could sneak out and check out a little bit of, of choice bits. Um, Miguel Monroy was there doing all of our interviews and, and, basically checking out all the clinics he, he basically did what i have had done the past 10 years and i took the more of the managing our giving away the magazines and signed up subscriptions and stuff but i did manage to get out i mean i saw all of mark i made a point that i would be there to support him for the whole time nice i saw uh you know a good bit of uh annika because it was oh, her, cool. you know her first clinic and and she killed it there was definitely a lot of buzz um everyone i didn't get to see jim riley unfortunately but everyone who was there said it was probably the most organized and educational clinic of the weekend. He, okay, he cool. just introduced his new book. Uh, I apologize. I think it's called survival guide for the modern drummer or something like that. He recorded like 127 play along tracks, like legit <laughs> recordings, like with a band, not sequencing, not loops really in, in every possible style from heavy metal, double bass to jazz to country. I mean, it's all in there. That's fantastic. It's I highly recommend it. it. It's not like a cheesy version of Styles. It's like he got the best players that he could find in Nashville to come in and do these things. So the guys who play on the heavy metal stuff are different than the guys that play on the Latin. Oh, stuff. Oh, that's so cool, man! That's really cool. Yeah. So he debuted that, and he played. I think he played like four or five songs, and I mean, it's cool. and it's, who, who's putting that out? Alfred put it out. Alfred. Okay. <clears throat> he actually created his own publishing company, but Alfred is distributing it. Okay. Very so cool. So they sold Very out. Cool. I mean, they, I think he said he brought 200 cool. copies and they were gone. So awesome, man. Or that's so awesome. His initial print run was 200 and it, they're all gone. Well, that's a great place to do it. I mean, basic, you know, your your entire crowd base actually reads and buys books and mm-hmm. you know, they're into that into that world. So that's that's fantastic, man. Yeah, he was that's great. Really cool. Near Z, that was his first ever clinic. Um and he's a good really? yeah, he's a good friend of mine, so we got to you know, I, I only got to see a couple seconds of it, but everyone that saw it said kind of the same thing. You could tell it was his first clinic, but okay. when the guy, when he got into it, when he finally got rolling, it was everyone was like, "All right, this guy's legit, real deal. Who is he?" Oh no, I mean, he's, yeah, <laughs> he's one of the guys. Know. He's 
So what you know? he did was he he uh, he kind of like re- recreated a studio environment on stage. So he brought in a track that that hypothetically he was hired to play drums on. Oh, that's a cool idea, man. And he's like, here's here's two ways that I would approach this song. Not here, not the the we've kind of seen it before. Where we'll say, well, here's what not to do, and here's what you should do. Right. It was here's two legitimate ways you can approach this song that are going to be completely different. And then you just it's just a matter of taste of which one you go with. Wow. Yeah. So when he, I mean, he's. I, I wish I could have seen the whole thing because he's just. There's nobody that I. I can't think of anyone that plays with more clarity and authority than him currently. So hopefully people were, you know, will kind of wise up Put to how great he is. Yeah. And yeah. His, for sure. His kit sounded amazing. He had a, a broadcaster with, uh, I think it was a 24 inch bass drum with no muffling, solid heads. Atta boy. Yeah. It sounded amazing. That's awesome, man. Dude, I'm actually, uh, I just went uh, to the London Drum Show to kind of do my setup, and I've, I've got Stanton's, one of Stanton's kits. Um, oh, yeah. They were having trouble finding my sizes, yeah, at any, you know, any rental spot. So I guess, uh, yeah, I got one of Stanton's USA Customs in uh, 2012, 14, um, in this really, and it's it's a stop sign badge USA Customs, so it's a little bit older. Um, not quite vintage, not quite brand new, but, yeah. um, and it's got a, uh, Let's see. I don't even know what the color is. It's some weird aqua marine pearl finish. It's gorgeous, though. Oh, wow. Absolutely Neat. gorgeous. So have you already yeah, done your sound check or not yet? I haven't done sound check. I just went and helped set up and made sure all the proper gear was there and everything. So I'll do sound check. Um, it's kind of weird. Like I'll do the educational zone, which is very relaxed. I mean, they'll have full seating and everything, but it'll be very relaxed. And then they'll move my kit to the main stage risers. You know, everybody gets their own riser and all the risers are on wheels. And that's when I'll do like my full sound check and everything um, at some point tomorrow. So So what's going to be different between the lesson and the clinic? Um, So the lesson will, the educational zone thing tomorrow will be nonstop teaching. The only playing I will be doing will be related to whatever I'm teaching. Are you bringing people up or or not? No. No, I just, I mean, it's like just a full on clinic, like no soloing, no tracks. Uh Um, And I had to like really kind of reach deep to find some topics that I felt like, okay, I'm going to teach on Saturday for an hour. Then I'm going to teach another probably half an hour during my clinic on Sunday in between the tracks and the soloing. But that has to be different than whatever I did on Saturday. Then on Monday, I go to Bell Percussion and do a regular store clinic. And that is going to have a lot of spillover from these two shows. So, um, so yeah. So, anyway, so it's been like digging deep and trying to think of, of things that can, you know. I mean, think about it. Like, for me, almost everything that I have, people have seen online. So, how am I going to come up with new topics? And um, so, yeah. So, I, I've come up with a couple of new topics. One is just is a really broad topic, but it's really giving me some great content to teach on stage, which is how long should you practice something? How do you know when it's time to move on? And I've come up with like a full clinic based around that. That mm. literally takes like a half an hour, but has all the fireworks <coughs> that you need. God bless you. Or how's a cough? <laughs> whatever. <laughs> well, that's a beautiful cough. You have. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so, uh, sexy tuplets. Yeah. So anyways, Coffee. um, I think that's what people should say when they sneeze from now on, just sexy tuplets. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that'll be a big part of it. And then I started kind of breaking down different rudiments and finding little tiny chunks inside them that could be repeated oh, cool. um, and moved around. So it, it's a bunch of new stuff, and I'm really excited about it. So doing that, um, 
And then, you know, I had the Tam Tam Festival on uh, in Spain, which that was like my first time trying all this material out. And what's been cool about this tour is between the Tam Tam Festival, then the store in Portugal, and then last night in Scotland, these have all been like trials for the London drum show. I'm trying out material on stage, you know, kind of like a comedian would before his Netflix special. And then kind of seeing what works and what doesn't work. Are you um, literally like cutting pieces of your script out? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and there's been, you know, things that I thought would go over really well. And then it was just like, man, there's no connection here. Um, Hmm. And what I've noticed, too, is, you know, you have to give people what they thought they were going to see. And it took me a long time to figure out or it took me a few of these clinics to figure out what do these people think they're coming to see? And I've realized they're coming to get inspired. Yeah. And so, you know, they they chose to see Virgil Donati to see the wonders of the drum set. They chose to see, you know, Dennis Chambers, to see the old school blistering power. Yeah. But they're coming to see me to be inspired. And so I've realized that it's really important that through the ebb and flow of the clinic that I kind of keep touching on inspirational things, motivational things, and make sure that when they go home, instead of kind of seeing the Uber drummer that makes you almost want to quit the drums, my responsibility is to make sure that no matter how late at night it is, they want to keep their parents up and practice. You know, they're just like, I have to touch my drums right now because I just came home from a Mike Johnston clinic. So knowing that about what they want from me has helped me shape the clinic so that by hopefully by tomorrow and, and Sunday, it'll be on point for, you know, a really good solid hour. I want them to be like, there's no way this hour's over. That went by too fast, you know? Yeah. I mean, so. this brings up something I've been wanting to talk about. Um, just the whole festival concept, like being at PASIC for four days. Mm-hmm. I think at the end of day one, you're pretty much done. Like oh, how yeah. much information can you possibly take in? Like I, like I only saw one complete clinic marks yeah. and, and I still forgotten half of it. Like I, yeah, well, well, Mark's clinic is enough for a lifetime for sure. But I mean like, so <laughs> but still, yeah. Like, is it, is it, do you find even these smaller festivals? Is it still too much? Is it exhausting? Oh yeah. Yeah, like the worst thing in the world was finding out at the Tam Tam Festival that I was going on at 5 p.m., which to them is like they're honoring me with a later slide. It started at 11 a.m. Yeah, that's a long day. Yeah, and I, I it was, uh, you know, Russ Miller was at like 1, and he was like, dude, I'm like opening, opening, opening for you. And I'm like, bro, you are getting them when they are primed. Yeah. I would, I'll happily trade time slots with you. Um, you know, and then after me, so it went... Uh, uh, a, la- a lady named Sharice. She's a UK drummer, and she—I mean, she's played on a ton of hit records. She was fantastic. Then Russ Miller, and it just—I mean, I just—I don't know. I—it's I, weird. Like I just have this full infatuation with his drumming because it's so relative to where I could see myself possibly being in ten years. Mm-hmm. Um, without the jazz side of it, of course. <clears throat> Um, but the fusion side of it and the funk side and the Latin side, it's just, you know, I really love his drumming and he's a great speaker. So Russ was fantastic. Um, and then uh, Josh Dion. Yeah. Holy crap. He's kind of been like bubbling under for a, over a decade at this point. But Man, what? And I mean, the sweetest guy in the world. You could tell he was very naive at the clinic thing and it worked perfectly in his favor. Like yeah. it was funny how just nervous he was. In a great way. Was you he know? playing keyboards and singing and drums? Oh, yeah. 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 And, I mean, the crowd just ate it up. So he was fantastic. Um, then a couple local guys. And then I I went. And and luckily, it, to the credit of the population of Seville, Spain, 
they or Sevilla or however you say it, they keep their energy because I went on at five and it was like a brand new crowd. So I, I had That's the time great. of my life. Um, Russ really, really helped me the day before we, we got into some good mental stuff and I, it was the best clinic I've had since PASIC. And, um, yeah, so I, I mean, and, and I don't mean best drumming wise, (laughs) I mean best as far as I walk off the stage and feel proud of myself, which is, you know, me more than most people. That's really rare for me. I'm really hard on myself and I always feel like I'm, I'm the worst drummer in the world. And so it was great to walk off the stage, shake Russ Miller's hand, shake Dennis Chambers' hand, and not apologize, you know? Yeah. Because the last time Russ saw me was at your guys' event in Ohio. Oh, wow. Where I apologized to him, and then he <laughs> bitch slapped me. I don't know if you have to cut that out. <laughs> but, uh. <laughs> oh, yeah. You were a little bit, you were a bit rattled after that one. Oh, God. I was, it was just a, you know, it was all mental. It was, yeah. you know, it was, and, and Russ, honestly, that moment, he snapped me out of everything by just kind of giving me the, the, you know, mental punch in the gut yeah. and, and he did it as a big brother and it changed my whole life. So anyways, so that went fantastic. And then, uh, after me was Wolfgang Hafner, <coughs> who I've never had the chance to see. Mm-hmm. And he is just a stud and the sweetest human being on the planet. And Norbert had told me, you know, my um, Norbert for you guys out there is my rep in my or for Meinl in Germany, and he had told me in the past, like, hey, Wolfgang Hafner, that's that's our Steve Gad. He's famous, you know, to non drummers over here. He's a really big deal. So I expected a ton of ego, and it was the opposite. He was the sweetest guy ever, um, and he just completely killed on stage. And then Dennis Chambers played, mm. and that was really <laughs> neat, man. He's like, you my, know, my kingpin it, hero right there. Yeah, I mean that's and it was so cool to see like Russ Miller and Wolfgang Hafner and you know Josh Dion and myself. We were all taking pictures on Dennis's kit backstage because Dennis hadn't showed up yet. And it was like you, you really you know we we say names like Dennis Chambers and Dave Weckl and Vinnie Caliuta, and until you're actually doing an event with them, you don't realize the separation between them and you. Uh. You know what you mean? Because you're like ah, I'm a I'm a clinician. I've been on the cover of Modern Drummer. And then somebody's like, yeah, Dennis will be here in five minutes. And everyone loses their mind. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, okay, never mind. There is a huge separation between the guys that are, you know, like myself, doing clinics and whatnot, and then a legend. And he was humble and sweet. The The thing that struck me, though, was he never once saw his drum set until it was on stage. But he didn't have a tech set it up. It was the people running the festival set up his kit. Really? He never saw it. I mean, he literally walked out on stage and saw his drum set sitting there <laughs> and just started to play. And I, I swear to you, bro, he probably dropped three sticks in the first, like, two minutes, figuring the kit's position out. Yeah. And never complained, never looked up, just kept on going. And then all of a sudden, it became comfortable to him, and he soloed for another 45 minutes. <laughs> and, dude, it was unreal, because I, I asked Russ, I said, bro, have you seen Dennis? And he's like, uh, not yet. And I'm like... I think he's on in 12 minutes. He hasn't moved a Tom. And he's like, yeah, I don't know. And I kept asking. And then, yeah, he never saw his kit. Unreal, yeah. man. He's, what a pro. I mean, I saw a sort of similar story. I saw uh, when John Blackwell did a tribute for his, his daughter, like it might have been yep. eight years ago at Berkeley. Okay. I mean, it was like a ridiculous lineup. It was John Blackwell and Kim Thompson and, oh, by the way, Vinnie Calyuta. Oh, that and, guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Dennis. And I, I mean... I love all those guys. When Dennis played, it was next level. It was like it the whole room was vibrating. His solo was so powerful. And he, I mean, he always kind of does his thing. Right. But it was just so 
different. It's like so magical. So, I mean, just same, so commanding. Like he just went on stage, did his solo, like killed it, and then just walked off the riser. Yeah, that was pretty much his clinic. I mean, yeah. it was like a 45-minute solo. He told a few hilarious stories. Um, he talked a little bit about his health. And then uh, he played another solo, and then he left. And it was just... And, I mean, these guys had been there since... You know, they queued up in line at 9 a.m., and by this point, it was 9 p.m., and there was still energy in the room. So, um, And I have to say, just from my perspective of doing festivals and doing clinics, the people at the Tam Tam Festival, it might be the most professionally run thing I've ever seen. I mean, it was up there with, like, the Minel Drum Fest and, you know, and what you guys did in Ohio uh, for drum days. It was so unbelievably well run great gear i mean they had they had a replica of my kit there Mm -hmm. and they went to a lot of pains to get it in spain um and they even they said you know you're an audio technica artist right and we're gonna mic you with audio technica mics oh wow i mean it was like detailed man and we were all on rolling risers so there was no tearing down and setting up and the thing i love the most as somebody that has giant you know nerves or uh nerve issues is that they didn't do that lame festival thing where they try to make you solo together at the end oh god we're like we're gonna bring out you dennis and russ miller and wolfgang and you're like i'd rather you didn't like and please don't sit me next to dennis and you guys are just gonna shed because i mean everyone's trying to recreate the dave you know but the buddy rich thing right and it's like this isn't gonna happen it was magical it happened once just let it go or do it like you guys did at drum days where you brought out a few of the guys that could really play brushes and, you know, it was John Riley, Greg Hutchinson, yeah. uh, Russ Miller, and uh, Jim, oh, and Jim Rupp. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that was fantastic. And then Ray Luzier and I sat in the stands and said, we're not going down there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's enough catching up. Let's get into some good stuff. Let's get into some shop talk. And once again, there's sirens behind me uh, here in London. Yeah. Uh, so we'll do some shop talk. And we're going to talk about the drum depth because this is a huge thing. And I think... God, that's loud. Wow, man. So speaking of sirens, how has security been for you? Has it been okay? You know what? It's actually been really smooth. I thought it would be insane. I've been getting to every airport about two hours early. I think the siren should be passing me in about six hours. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, at least it's in time. Um, So uh, the security, I wouldn't say it's been relaxed, but it hasn't been anything insane. The only thing that's really changed is... A lot of plastic bags given to you as you're getting ready to go in through security to put in things as small as chapstick, you know, okay. like they, they, so nothing's going through anymore without it coming out. So, but no, it's, it's been fine, man. It's been totally fine. And, uh, you know, I mean, I don't want us to get into a big political thing, but I just think it's funny that every time one of these terrorist things happens, the complete opposite of their goal takes place, which is they, they cause the entire earth to support whatever city they just attacked. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, dude, I don't know how to tell you, but you clearly are failing at your mission because, you know, I remember when 9-11 happened, it's like, oh, great job. You just galvanized a planet. Yep. Well done. You know, that's clearly, you're failing at your objective. And now, you know, you go on social media and you see nothing but support France, support Paris, you know, yeah. statements. And it's like, all right, you guys are morons. <laughs> so... Other than that, let's talk about the depth of drums. So yeah. this was kind of a big thing. I remember just the the insanity of what Travis Barker did to our world when he oh, started yeah. playing like a twenty two by twenty, and you know, and for him, he could trigger it 
it was all about looks. It was all about the stage. But it became kind of a trend. And all of a sudden, 22 by 18 became the standard bass drum size that all companies would ship their standard 22-inch kick. It was the standard size. It wasn't a special order. Where when I grew up, 22 by 16 was the standard. Right. Um, and then, and I would assume same for you. And previous to that, 22 by 14. Yep. But then now, 22 by 18 is still the current standard. But yep. recently, some of the companies have started making the 22 or 20 by 14 depth something more available and not quite as wacky. And so I just wanted to talk about the dynamic of the shell itself. You know, for you guys out there, if you don't know, you have the batter head, that's the head you hit. And then you have the resonant head and that's the head that you don't hit and it resonates. Well, the further away you pull that head from the batter head, the less it's going to resonate. So actually when you see those giant cannons on stage, a 22 by 20, the sound waves never make it all the way to the resonant head to resonate it. So it actually is a very thuddy, flat-sounding bass drum. And as you move that resonant head closer to the batter head, a 22 by 16 or a 22 by 14, the resonant head actually gets to do its job. It gets to resonate, and that's where the boom and that low end actually comes from. So I think, you know, visually, it's a, it's like a visual kind of, you know, trick to see this huge cannon and think like, oh, you've got a massive bass drum. It's like, well... It, it actually won't sound as big as a 22 by 16 or 22 by 14. Now, do you have a favorite bass drum size? Yeah, I mean, it's I'm 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 classic, so I like a, a 14 inch depth by whatever size 20, 22, 24, 18 doesn't matter. I mean, I have mm-hmm. I have various variations of all of them, and I mean, for for me to go beyond 16, I mean, I do I do hear a difference with an 18 inch deep bass drum. And it's oh not, yeah, there's a difference for sure. It's not a, it's not absurd, um, but for the most part, I mean, I kind of think the deeper bass drums came about because that way you had more shell to work with for the finishes, you know. <laughs> so if you're playing, you can put more graphics on a 20 inch deep drum. Yeah, man. And if you're going to yeah. shove a microphone all the way inside of it, then the depth is kind of is null Pointless. and void at that point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I tend to go. I mean. It, again, I think I've said it before. If it was good enough for John Bonham, if it was good enough for Bernard Purdy, if it was good enough for Ringo Starr, good enough for Keith Moon, you just go down the list. Yeah, none of them were like, "I can't play without my bass drum being 22 inches deep." Right, right, right. It's yeah, you know, it's funny. My I have a a jazz buddy that went to school uh, in New Jersey at William Patterson with um, with Josh Dion and uh, Mark Juliana. His name's Tim Metz, and he he lives in Sacramento. We went to high school together. And he's a Gretsch artist. And when I moved to Gretsch, I was starting to open my eyes to, you know, kind of the norms of drums, you know, because when I was at DW, I was always trying to push the envelope of like, let's do a 10 by 6 and a 22 by 20. And I wanted to be as weird as I could. And when I moved to Gretsch, I was kind of a little more mature and I was ready to be a little more classic. (laughs) And he told me one time, and it's funny, he's, uh, he's one year younger than me, but he's about 15 years more mature than me. So whatever he tells me, we usually get in a fight about it, <laughs> and then I have to come back to him a decade later and be like, hey, you're totally right. I figured you know? it out. <laughs> yeah. So we were talking, and uh, this is a long time ago. I just moved to Gretsch, and he goes, you know, dude, <clears throat> right around 1930, they got it right, and nothing's really improved since then. So he's like, you know, and it kind of occurred to me, I was like, you know what? I wonder what the drum industry would be like if we didn't have Nam because... 
most product in- innovation is just out of fear of not having something to debut at NAMM. Yeah. But they don't innovate for the purpose of sound or innovation itself. They innovate so they have something to show at NAMM. Yeah. So, you know, he's like, he's like, yeah, he's like, someday you will play, you know, a 20 by 14 a 12 by 8 and a 14 by 14 floor with a 14 by five and a half snare drum. And sure enough, that's what I'm playing at the London drum show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that was like my biggest request. Like, please find me a 14 inch deep bass drum. So, I mean, it's, um, it also, it's practicality. You, if like, if you're going to go on tour with a, like a van tour. And, oh yeah. And it's, you know, four or five guys in a van and you've got a 20 by 22 inch bass drum. I mean, you're taking up luggage space. <laughs> you're taking up. I mean, I went on the road with a 14 by 22 and we barely had enough room. Yeah. You know, I would never go. I would, I would never even think to take an extra. And just getting it in the door of your car if you don't have a hatchback. I mean, even an right. 18 by 22 is tough to get it in. If you factor yeah, in a case, it's going to add You're at least a case, an inch. Yeah. So, well, yeah. think about, too, like stairs. I mean, it's heavier, too. It's a lot heavier, you know? So, it takes up I more mean, stage room. I mean, it's all these factors that if you're only playing at home, get whatever you want, sure. But Now, right. what about what about depth for you with... <clears throat> with snare drums, I mean, what's your favorite snare depth? Are you a fourteen by six and a half? Um, it's totally gig dependent, but I think okay. if, if you said you can only have one snare drum for the rest of your life, it would be a six and a half by fourteen brass because nice. I can you can tighten it up enough to get you know the smaller sound. You can, but you can't make a shallow drum sound deep. Absolutely, um, that's Absolutely. the one thing you can make a deep drum sound shallow. So I would go with that, and, and but you know I do a lot of more like club gigs where the dynamics really range so i'd, I'd take a five by 14 okay most of the time so yeah for me the the depth is all about uh it gives you more more uh volume potential it's mm-hmm. volume potential versus sensitivity gotcha yeah yeah so yeah, i just definitely. factor it in. i don't have a favorite because it, it, it's different for every venue really sure yeah and knowing you know i think that's why <clears throat> snares are so important to have kind of a collection of you know i mean there's obviously obsession level where you just have way too many snares but having a you know a 14 by 5 14 by five and a half and a 14 by six and a half they really do sound different and if you ever you know get a chance to play like you know a 13 by three and a half piccolo or something then you'll really notice the the difference in you have all this sensitivity. You have very little volume, no matter how hard you hit it, um, and it's and it's so dry, just so unbelievably dry, you know. But yeah, I, I played a fourteen by six and a half, I think, in Portugal. Actually, I played one last night as my side snare, and it was a. Uh, they just because of London Drum Show, Europe is out of Gretsch drums for rental companies. So I had to. They were piecing together a kit for me in Scotland last night, and they said, you know, are you cool with playing a. I don't know. It was a fourteen by six and a half Babinga pearl snare drum. I was like, I don't care. Just yeah. as long as you tried, I'll I'll figure it out with Gretsch. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, anyways, so but yeah, as soon as I hit it, I was like, oh man, I forgot just how much body these six yeah. and a halves have because I've been playing a five and a half for so long, you know. Yeah. And yeah. and like you said, you can't put more body into that five and a half. It is what it is. You know, you can make it tighter and you can make it shorter sustained but you can't make it fatter it just is you know? yeah that's why i would err to the side of deeper and i mean like brian blade often uses a six and a half by 14 when he's playing jazz you can get that wow. sound yeah but you can't really get that i mean it's not that's not true you can take an acrylite detune it all the way tape it up and it's going to sound like it's 20 inches deep but that's on the recording sure. in the room it's going to sound not right not that's what i mean that. is like it's 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 more than just the pitch i mean there's pitch obviously and you can tune it down but it's like the fact that when i hit it i felt it through my entire body that's right. like when i was like okay six and a half in the house so you don't have an eight by 14 
<laughs> I do not. Oh man, don't laugh until you get one. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I uh, I'm not I'm not laughing. I just uh, I don't know if I don't know if Gretsch even makes one. I'm sure they do, but uh, you do you have one. one? You need one. Do I have one? <laughs> <laughs> Look at you. Look at you with your cocky <laughs> snare depth. No, actually, uh. probably my, well, I can't say my favorite, but one of my favorite drums I own is an 8, eight by 14 Coca Bolo by uh, MCD Drums. It's ridiculous. Okay. It's just ridiculous. Nice. And what's think, most people think an 8-inch deep drum is not going to have any sensitivity. I mean, I could play symphonic music on this thing. Really? Because the thing is, the, these guys are making drums so well these days. I mean, all the shortcomings that you think for stuff, they've figured right. out how to get rid of it. So this drum is super sensitive, and it, and it's and I can get it to sound like Def Leppard, <laughs> or I can play symphony music on it. You know, that's okay. Well, I will. Uh, well, hopefully they'll be at Nam, and I will. I will check it out because you know how easy it is to hear everything at Nam. Yeah, and uh, well, that's a good. Like, that's a good volume threshold test. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll just I'll just gunshot it. <laughs> nice. All right. Would you like to introduce our featured drummer? Yeah, it was more of just a discussion. I mean, we did a, a shorter story on Frankie Benali of Quiet Riot in the December issue, <clears throat> and he they put out a he he put out a documentary. I guess it's been a couple of years, but he's finally got distribution for it. I think it's been on Netflix and maybe Showtime. Have you seen it? No, I haven't. Is it a Quiet Riot documentary or is it a documentary on him? It's well, it's current day. It's it's okay. him. Oh, basically, because what happened was the singer from Quiet Riot passed away, and Frankie basically owns the, the band okay so he had to make a decision do, do we just kill quiet riot and the, you know not that turn do we stop being quiet riot <laughs> sure or <laughs> do i try to make it happen and he decided all right well let's make it happen and they just went through auditioning different singers and they would hire one guy and they'd fire him and they hired one guy that was like the perfect voice but then he forgot the words on stage like he just had stage shut fight. up Oh, yeah. that's tough, man. So they had to fire him, and then they found somebody else. I mean, it's just, it's like heart-wrenching and heartwarming and inspiring and and dream-killing all at once. <laughs> this process you're talking about, was this is this part of the documentary? That's the whole documentary. Oh, wow. That's incredible. So they, they weave in the history of the band within this, you know, you're following Frankie for probably a year or so trying to keep the band from disappearing. They're playing, I mean, they're playing like fairgrounds. They're playing... Whatever they're playing big festivals like in Europe and South America, but in the states they're playing like the local fair. Sure, of course, yeah, yeah. With now, random singer guys. All I have is my memories of learning these songs when I was a kid, you know, and then that was kind of it for me. When once the cassette tape actually broke, I was done with Quiet Riot. <laughs> so it, is Frankie an actual? I mean, is he a good drummer? Is he a good player? Yeah, he's he's great. I mean, he's coming straight out of the 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 late era Led Zeppelin tradition. Like just okay. big arena rock, powerful. He uses big drums, green sparkle kit. I mean, he's 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 a powerhouse. He's no joke. That's awesome. Yes, and he's. Uh, no, I guess they're still doing. It. I'm not quite sure what the status is, but I mean, it. And for me, Quiet Riot was like I'd forgotten that Quiet Riot broke the same time that MTV broke. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So they yeah. essentially were like one of the f- definitive bands of the MTV culture. Absolutely. No, there was, I mean, I remember seeing kind of, you know, it would go Quiet Riot, Duran Duran, Michael Jackson, uh, Billy, Michael Jackson, Billy Idol, yep. uh, you know, maybe, and then even 
later than maybe the early, early first Madonna video. But, but yeah, I mean, Quiet Riot was there, you know, with that stuff. And, you know, Twisted Sister with yeah. their, uh, yeah. their shenanigans. But, you know, I mean, that'd be something fun for us to check out, too, is like, I mean, all of these bands, you know, it's so hard to remember how insanely famous they were. But what happened to the drummers? Like, are they still players? Like, I wonder, you know, I mean, we know some of them, like Scott Rockenfeld from Queensryche yeah. and stuff, but Striper must <laughs> have had a drummer, right? You know? I mean, I'm pretty sure they're still playing. Striper? I could be wrong. I mean, there's like a strange, like, a hair metal revival thing happening. Well, bro, I mean, it's it's huge in, in Asia, too. You know, yeah. I mean, it, I know that if I was if I was in an old rock band and I was hurting for some cash... I'd be like, we are headed to China <laughs> tomorrow. You know, I mean, because they're selling out arenas, like you said. You know, there's playing on festivals over there, and same in Europe too. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's the thing is, like, some of those guys must actually be players. You know, what I mean, because there's there's guys that play drums so they can be in a band, and then there's guys that are in bands because it gives them a chance to play the drums, and that's kind of yeah. what I was. I was a guy that was touring because it was the only way I could play drums every night and get paid to do it. But I knew that as soon as my band broke up, I'd be playing drums for the rest of my life. And then I think there's other guys that if their band broke up, they just wouldn't play drums anymore. Which you know? might be the case with Frankie. I mean, he's he's so invested in Quiet Riot and he's been so invested in it that I think it just he has no ability to say, OK, we're done. Right. Yeah, yeah. Which is really I mean, it, it, like I said, it's, it's heartbreaking because you see how like it kind of crushes the dream. You know, like you would think yeah. he's he's living in gold-plated mansions at this point but right you know, he's i mean yeah he's doing okay but he's still kind of a working he's pushing you know working man well that's awesome so what what's the uh documentary called again yikes you shouldn't have asked me um <laughs> i'm gonna open it up to page 20 and tell you right now page 20 in modern drama magazine <laughs> <laughs> i mean we're working on the april issue starting next week so i know give me I a little know. pass here <laughs> Oh gosh, where is it? Uh, I mean, there can't be more than one. It's called. So, uh, well, now, now you're here. There's no way back. Now you're here. There's no way back. Yeah. Cool. Well, everyone, check it out because I'm sure it's. You know, there's something. Anytime somebody does a, a well done documentary, you get something out of it. I, hell, I just watched a documentary on the guy that invented the Segway last night, <laughs> um, and he's like, "By the way, I'm not dead. I didn't ride a Segway off a cliff. That was a horrible joke, and I had to call my mom and tell her that I wasn't dead." Um, wow. But he's like literally <coughs> one of the most brilliant human beings on the planet, um, and he's inventing. Um, he's invented. He invented a machine that. You can pour any liquid in the world into it, and it will find all of the clean water and take it out. Doesn't matter whether it's seawater, sewage water, urine. It will turn it. And he's he's sending. He partnered up with Coca Cola to send these machines to Africa and what? you know all all over the place to to fix the fact that people don't have access to water. So is the, Nestle going to kill it like a? The smart car <laughs> smart car got killed by all the oil companies. No, no. <laughs> No, I don't think so. I think they're going to let this one slide because actually Coca-Cola had like a, a huge problem where there were towns where the Coca-Cola company was taking all of the clean water in the town to make Coke and there was no water. Oh, my God. That's terrible. Yeah. So so they needed to rehab their image anyway. So now they're giving the world clean water and it's it's a good thing. All right. That's <laughs> enough of that. Let's get into some gear review. Yeah. Let's talk about some gear drums. Review, yeah. Let's talk about some drums. So. You were reviewing the True Tuner, and I'm going to give you a little heads up here. So, God, what was it? It must have been PASIC three years ago, I'm thinking, was the first time 
I ever saw the true tuner. And I'll let you explain to everybody what it was. But it was kind of like the Gen 16 thing. It, it came out too soon. It wasn't ready yet. And the guy was like, come on over here and check this thing out. You know, he wanted me to see his true tuner. And yeah. I was like, yeah, absolutely. This looks fantastic. And he's like, he, he gave me the whole spiel. And sure enough, it just completely failed. And oh, there was a full crowd man. and everything. And it was like, like I said, I, it was just two years too soon. He hadn't worked out the kinks. He was so excited. So... I haven't seen it since then. So explain to everybody what it is and what your experience like was like with it. Okay, well, I didn't do the review, but we do have a... What I had uh, Miguel do when he reviewed this was I made sure that he did a real-time demo of him actually detuning the drum all the way and then tuning it up to pitch. So there's no okay. editing. You just see him do the whole thing. Because I think they made a claim you could you could tune an entire drum in a minute or something like that. And he, he was able to do it. So he's able to take a drum from completely slack... And then tune it up completely to a usable tension, or change the head out. Whatever you need to do within right. one, within one minute. Okay. Um, is that considerably faster than just using two drum keys? I don't think so. But what it or, is is or a drill, or a drill. So <laughs> what it is is like this big plastic disc that has you know hot has pre preset holes in it, so where you can insert these drum key things that they they supply. So you put these drum key things on all of your lugs, you put the disc over top of all the drum keys, and then you just spin it like a spirograph. Mm-hmm. And then it, you know, it, does, it, tu- it turns them all at the exact same time. So it would be like if you, if you had an eight-lug drum and you had four people working on the <laughs> drum at once. Right. So, it, so I mean, it, it's, a, it's, it's a 16-inch plastic disc with a handle on it <clears throat> and a bunch of these little key things. So, uh, you know, for me, I don't... I don't have a use for it. If I was a drum tech, um, like touring with a guy who is notorious about busting out a snare drum head, something like that, maybe I'd want to have these just be like, okay, I've got to, within the next song, I have to have his his drum head changed. Right. I might try it. Um, My fear would be that one of these tension rods would fly off and and go into the dark corners of the stage like they always do. Right. And then the whole thing is rendered basically useless. so it's so, kind of up for, I mean, if you like gadgets, if you like like tools, I'm, I don't use a drill. I don't use any of that stuff. I just use two right. drum keys, and I make sure I have the Evans magnetic keys so it doesn't fly off. And it also has a little, uh, like a thumb screw on top so you can spin it really fast. You're old school, baby. It works You're for old me. School. I don't need to be carrying a drill and drill bits. I mean, if, if and of course, I play a four-piece kit, so... Right, like I'm not Simon Phillips, where I need to change, you know, thirty drum heads totally. before cleaning. Yeah. By the way, guys, if you ever do the drill thing, let me just help you out real quick. Use the drill to take the head off. Don't use the drill to put the head on. <laughs> There's nothing worse than watching somebody go like zing and they just tighten it all the way down. I'm like, okay, that head's ruined. Well done. Uh, and <laughs> unbelievable how many times that happened at the festival. There were guys like switching out heads. And they were drilling them on, and I was like, "Oh, bro, that head is toast!" <laughs> like, and they were doing it until it does the NASCAR like click, 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 click. Oh you know, gosh. like. And so I was like, "Okay, but yeah, the, the drill is great for pulling your heads off, but then I, I put them on the old-fashioned way, and I only use the drill because I'm stationary. I'm in my studio all the time. But it, when I'm at a gig, I don't have a drill with me. You know, a key is more than enough. And like you said, I guess what I'm trying to figure out with the the tuner, it's called the True Tuner, right? Yeah, T R U space Tuner True. Tuner. I guess what I'm trying to figure out is what is the main goal behind it? Is it to tune your drum or is it to replace the head quick and easy? You know what I mean?" 
Well, probably. I mean, I, I guess it's both. Their their theory is that since it's turn, turning all of them at the same amount, that the tuning is going to be relatively even. Sure. So no, you, it makes sense. You know, I just I guess you know. One thing it'd be great to find out from our listeners, uh, maybe we can do a live show at NAM or something. Someday it'd be nice to have a studio audience to yeah. for us. But you know, I, I'm I'm curious is like to how how frustrating tuning is for people because I, I noticed that 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 you know that TuneBot sold off the shelves because of how many people are frustrated with tuning. Yeah. But for me, and I think probably the same for you, that frustration that's part of the journey. I yeah. loved. I loved being frustrated by not being able to tune a 12 inch Tom. Yeah. You know, I just sit yep. in my room and do it for hours and hours and hours until my mom told me to go to bed. And I mean, it's, like, it's therapy to do that. It totally is. Yeah. It totally is. And I, so it's like, <clears throat> don't, don't try to shortcut that process. That's part of it. And, you know, I mean, hell, I did the video for the tune bot. So I'm not against technology by any means. Um, but, you know, when I'm at, when I'm like you said, when I'm in a dark club and I got to tune a drum, I better be able to use my ear, yeah. you know, and I want, I want the same thing for my students, by the way, guys, uh, due to me being, you know, out of the country and Mike just getting back from PASIC, we don't have any of that cool candy for you to listen to in this episode. So I promise when we do next week's episode, we will review things that sound really cool. You know, I and, actually almost suggested that we do for this one. I wanted to do a metal snare drum comparison. Do it. So I was like, yeah, that'd be great. Like, no, that wouldn't be great. I can't get that done by Friday. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what. Did you hear how I emphatically said, do it? You do it. <laughs> I'm not going to. Well, you know what? Maybe. We'll, we'll see. If you have enough time, maybe you can uh, no. insert. No. All right. Perfect. So do you want to just insert the sound of Miguel turning the, the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the true tuner? I'll take the silence from the website and put it in. But you, yeah, you should go check. I mean, they have demos on their site. But if you want to see like our third party, no, no tricks, no editing, Miguel puts the things on. There's a timer on the screen. You can see the Perfect. whole process. You can see that cool. he, he kind of gets tripped up a little bit with it. It's not yep. like it's not doesn't align perfectly. Yeah, no, it, it gave me some troubles three years ago, so I, I will check out the video. All right, let's move into our picks of the week. Sir, what is your pick of the week? Oh, wow, get a little chops from you. I don't have a pick of the week. You go first, and I'm going to think of one. <laughs> You're awesome. <laughs> uh, I love the. You guys can't see on Skype right now, but he's completely just looking around his office to find something to tell you about. All right, you try to think of, a, of an album to alert people to. And while you're doing that, my pick of the week is The Sencha Shot by Itoen. So the company is Itoen, I-T-O-E-N. And A Sencha Shot is uh, basically a little mini can of kind of con- condensed Sencha green tea. And the reason why it's my pick of the week is because everyone that knows me well knows that I'm completely obsessed with green tea. And the great thing about green tea is... Unlike coffee, you can actually get a little bit of energy from it because there, you know, there, there's definitely caffeine in there, not as much as black tea. If you guys don't know anything about tea, the way it goes, caffeine-wise, is it starts at white tea, which is the least, then green tea, which is medium, then black tea, which has the most caffeine from a tea leaf, and then after that, far after that, is coffee. So it's not a lot of caffeine, but it does have a little bit of energy. It's very good for you. But what I love about it is with Sencha shots and with green tea in general – there's no addictive properties to it like there is with coffee. When you drink coffee a lot, at some point, 
and you can't drink coffee, you're going to get headaches and you're going to have some withdrawal symptoms. And that's not going to happen with green tea. So when I go on the road and they don't have green tea or if I run out of my Sencha shots that I bring with me, it's no big deal. I don't have to freak out. I'll be fine. There's no headaches or anything. So uh, you can order them through Amazon. I think a case of like 24 is, is about 30 bucks. And you just throw them in the and, – and if you guys – I mean it's it's strong, strong, strong green tea. So my wife Amber, she'll do a Sencha shot uh, in a glass and then fill the rest of the glass up with water to kind of dilute it a little bit so it'll last you all day. So there you go. A little health for the kids out there. What about you, boss? I do have one. And just hang on. I need to grab it because it's in my bag. So give me two seconds. <laughs> all right. Well, he rolls across the room. Uh, oh, geez. Right, so it's going full duffel is- bag. I'd already talked about it a little bit, but I want to repeat it. Survival Guide for the Modern Drummer, a crash okay. course in all musical styles for drum set by Jim Riley. Boom. This is, I think it's a game changer as far as what we can expect from play-alongs moving forward. Nice. Um, there's no, it's not corny. I'm not going to call out anyone who I think has, you know, it is, it's kind of redefining the quality to expect out of a play-along. Like the stuff that you're having produced is, is top-notch. The stuff that he took it one step further and, and had a, a full-on, like, real legitimate Nashville sessions for all that's just It's just so cool to have. And that's all, I mean, even as a teacher, you know, that's what I want for my students is I want, you know, musical environments for whatever they've been working on. It's like that next step is putting whatever you're working on into a musical environment. So to have that many styles, I mean, that really, that's what we talked about, like, three or four episodes. That's the new version of Steve Houghton's yeah. uh, drum set soloist, right? Exactly. Yeah, and it's 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 a book too. It's not just a disc. So there are 124 tracks, and he goes from, you know, so in the book he gives you like <clears throat> kind of 10 or so variations of the classic version of that style. And okay. it, so he's kind of taking you through like the first chapter is pop drumming. So he gives you basic pop grooves. He gives you syncopated pop grooves, adding ghost notes. So he's kind of progressing through each style so then each each example in the book he gives you the corresponding play-alongs to use that's fantastic so there's pop drumming blues swing country early rock and motown dance and electronic funk confusion odd time signatures metal and double bass and then world grooves is how he ends it that's so, so cool man yeah so everyone should check it out i think it's going to be an award-winning book within the they could probably week. get it on amazon now right um, right now, because it is his publishing company, I would suggest going to Jim Riley. It's either jimriley.com or jimrileymusic.com. Okay. Because I believe he's still offering uh, signed copies through his website. Whoa. Whoa. I got one. It says, to my friend Mike, Jim Riley. <laughs> he went deep on you, dude. <laughs> he went deep. That is deep. Well, that, that, if I ever sign anything for you, I'm gonna I'm gonna totally just one up Jim Riley and be like to my good friend Mike. Good friend, not Mike best, Johnston. not best, just good. <laughs> no, no, God, no, no. I, don't, I haven't had a best friend since I was like seven. <laughs> right. I'm just lucky to have friends at all. Uh, with how busy I am. <laughs> awesome, buddy. Well, it's been great catching up with you, man. Yeah. Uh, so we need to remind people to please go to iTunes and give us a four star or better review if they like what they're hearing. I think we've. I would that appreciate a that. Times. Yeah, well, I you know somebody, uh, some I think somebody mentioned it to me, uh, like in person. Uh, they, they were we were talking about the I think we were at one of my drum camps and we were talking about the podcast and it's funny like people really actually listen to this thing and I they know, it's kind of scaring re- me. <laughs> I know they, they regurgitate things that we say and then all of a sudden like the whole table was like. 
And don't forget to go to iTunes and give us a positive <laughs> review. That stuff really helps. And I was like, whoa, is, does that bother you that much that I say that at the end? It really does help us. I'm just asking. Like, it does. You know, we spent all this time for you. Maybe you could just <laughs> click on the freaking star, dog. <laughs> All right, before I get too upset, <laughs> we should get out of here. All right, have a great festival, uh, and I look forward to hearing more about it when you get back. Thanks, buddy. We will do a full wrap-up, and we'll have lots of drums for you guys to hear when we get back. But until then, for Mike and myself, that's a wrap. Yeah. <laughs>